This is Harrison Kim, and you're listening to Working With People by PaveStep. The Working With People podcast is for executives, managers, and people leaders. We bring people experts together to provide you with relevant content on how to think about and manage your most important asset, your talent. We have David here with us today. How are you, David? Hey, I'm doing good, Harrison. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Where are you calling in from? I am in Austin, Texas at my house, um, and uh, it's a lovely day. Awesome. Awesome. So today we're going to be talking about culture, hybrid workforce or remote workforce uh, and everything in between. But before we get there, tell us who you are and what you do. So I'm David. I'm a CHRO at Eventbrite, which is a um, event ticketing platform. And we're trying to bring the world back together through live experiences. I'm so as part of the CHRO, I oversee HR and recruiting, really sort of all, all our people and culture initiatives. Um, you know, building, building the company, um, building a really high performing company uh, and navigating things like um, hybrid work. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, for Eventbrite, the last 18 months have been a ridiculous ride. <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, um, when the pandemic hit, uh, we were like, like a number of companies really directly hit by it. I mean, live right. experiences, you know, a lot of um, governments around the globe basically said no more live experiences. So, um, you know, we went through a whole like series of reimagining the company culturally and from a business right. model perspective. Uh, I can just say today, as we, as we hear, talk here now in October, 2021, we're really rebounding strong, both culturally and, and uh, business. Awesome. Awesome. All right. So let's dive right into it. Um, hybrid workforce, right? Hybrid workplace. That's been the, the new thing, right? Over the last, uh, I guess, 10, 12 months now. Um, I personally think hybrid is probably the hardest thing to get versus remote versus full in, you know, on, on site. Um, but what benefits have you seen from having a hybrid workforce? Well, I, th I think the benefits we're starting to see right now, but I think uh, really a lot of the, the potential is in the future. Because when I think of a hybrid workforce, you both have the ability to work from home or remotely or anywhere around the globe in which we operate. Mm -hmm. um, and thus we can hire people now. Right. without sort of fixed, you know, like, hey, you have to be in one of these office locations. The, um, the opening up of those talent pools has been tremendous. Um, mm. So from a, from a talent perspective, right, right. you're also tapping into, you know, flexibility and personal choice. So, you know, I want to move. I'm, I'm a current Eventbrite employee. I want to move someplace else. I want to move out of California and someplace else like I did. And that's better for me and my family and my life. I can continue to work here. This is great. Uh, so I can kind of choose with the mode that that works best for me. I can choose whether I want to continue to, you know, be around an office because I plan to kind of come in. That's where I do my best work. Or I can choose to, you know, stay here in San Francisco, but really not planning to come in once the offices are reopened. So that's another thing, the idea of tapping into personal choice and flexibility, which is probably a big part of the future of work and where we're headed. Perfect. So with hybrid workforce, you know, I'm sure there's been a lot of different challenges, too. Right. Uh, some uh, foreseen, some unforeseen. Anything that come to your mind that's kind of like, OK, this is something that, you know, that, that should be on top of everyone's minds as, as, as they either go into the hybrid workforce as, or, or as they're implementing hybrid workforce. Well, um, maybe two or three at top of mind. One is I think there is, um, a, you know, a potential letdown for people when they do go back into offices hmm. for those for those companies that have really allowed for personal choice to really reign. 
Um, my expect my prediction would be for those types of companies, maybe only 20 to 30 percent of that community, right? The people based in San Francisco for Eventbrite are are going to come in, you know, on a regular basis. For us, 97% of the company went into the office Monday through Friday, you know, roughly nine to five before the pandemic. And right. that that's going to change dramatically when we reopen our offices. We're going to have offices, but they're going to be different. So you have to reimagine. So a challenge is reimagining what the office is for, what type of what type of environment should that be? And you know, be prepared to sort of not have it be what you what what it once was. Mm. Not, we're not returning to like, wow, crowded floors, you know, and like everyone is here. I see everyone. I see everyone in San Francisco. So you have to reimagine what that's for. Um, that's one challenge. I think leaders and the role of leaders needs to change. Um, as an example, you know, maybe used to rely on meetings or I'm currently relying on meetings. Like the Microsoft report said that meetings during the pandemic have increased two and a half X and the average workday <laughs> has increased by almost 45 minutes. But leaders have to start operating differently. I think in hybrid settings, I think you have to really try and grapple with asynchronous work so that people are not burning out. They're, I'm in more meetings, I'm in longer meetings. So like, I need less meetings, I need right. less meetings. And my leaders need to really understand how, how, much are my, how much time are my people in meetings? Are the meetings themselves being effective? That was something we used to just be able to like not think about. Um, tools are going to be coming out that actually analyze meeting activity more for um, companies. And, and so that's another thing is the role of leaders and, and how you lead in a hybrid setting has to change from what it once was in remote and, and in office. Right. Back. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting. The first point you talk about, like, you know, people kind of let down. I, I never even thought about that, but that's absolutely true. Right. I, I go into the office and I'm one of those people that get really energized by seeing others and having like a good gathering and you know small talk but you know when i go in it's not going to be the same right even though it's on site it's no longer the same as you know what it was before so that's that's really interesting and and the second thing you talked about in terms of the meetings um yeah it's uh it's funny and you see a whole bunch of companies coming out doing like no meeting wednesdays or no meeting fridays right uh to give uh, the actual flexibility that people thought they were going to get <laughs> with the hybrid or remote workforce yeah yeah <laughs> totally yeah 100 percent yeah, we actually internally, we actually just implemented no meeting Wednesdays uh, just last week. Um, yeah, selfishly we, for me. <laughs> yeah, we, we have a no meeting block on Wednesdays that that's been that's been popular for um, a, a certain uh, subset of employees. We also mm. do um, first Fridays off. Um, so we all just go back and recharge. Um, but yeah, I think this is like your meeting activity to how the company operates in the hybrid setting has to be reimagined from even when we're currently all fully remote. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Right, like as soon as 20% of your team members like start going into the office and they're actually in person, you're having meetings with them remote, and that's a different dynamic than if everyone's on Zoom, right? So um, yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. So I'm gonna give you a quick heads up on, on, on one challenge that you didn't mention that I think is a really interesting one, but I'll save this question for last, is compensation. Right. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. let's let's talk about the 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 kind of the main thing that we you and I connected about um, around the cultural transformation. Like you, you've talked about kind of the workflows and meetings and things like that. But um, you know, when you think about and when you mention cultural transformation in a hybrid work environment, what do you mean by that, and, and why is it important? Without uh, without spending time thinking about what your culture is, um, culture happens to you. 
right? <laughs> right. And so like, you know, if you didn't think about your company business strategy, you would just suddenly be a, a company with a business model that just sort of happened, you know, based on whatever the market dictated. And so similar to you have to define what your business strategy is, you have to define your, your culture. And that's taking a scientific look at it, like lifting, lifting up the hood, talking to your employees, doing focus groups, and, and then arriving at some principles. So we, we had values, you know, that were three years old that were de defined before the pandemic that um, really weren't resonant, resonant for our employees anymore. I mean, you couldn't, you, like you, mm. the average employee couldn't remember what our values were outside of what I would share with them in orientation. And so we were becoming a, a different company. We radically changed the makeup of the company. We were, you know, like we'll end this year, more than 50% of our employee, employees are in engineering or product roles. Whereas before the pandemic, it was like only 30%. So hmm. there, are, there are things happening in the culture that we need to like sort of go like step back and say, who like who are we when we're at our best in the future? Right. So a little bit, a little bit of like what is today in reality, but also like, like where do we think, where do we think this is going? And so um, we just recently, a couple of weeks ago, uh, uh, unveiled new values uh, in a company. And if you look at these five values, I'm happy to talk about any one of them. If you look at them, what is this saying? The company at its core over the past decade plus has been a company with the bones uh, of being of compassion. The, the company, the bones, the, the, like really at our core, we are a compassionate company. And now that we're public and we've gone through so many trials and tribulations and we're trying to, we're trying to be better for our creators and our consumers, we aspire to be a high performing company and one that is learning. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, are we have now values that speak about continuously learning, you know, continuously learning to be a best in class company to spur growth and innovation. I think employees want to learn. They want to gravitate towards workplaces, at least our employees, they want to gravitate towards experiences in their day, in their week that foster learning and growth for them. And at the same time, we want to um, have a culture of taking ownership, meaning, you know, when we're at a table and we see something not going right, we, we step in to take initiative, we own projects, if momentum slows, we step up to find a way to reignite progress in service of driving impact. So there's a lot of opportunities out there. The culture of Eventbrite used to be like enamored with the shiny object. I'm going to suddenly get, you know, like lose focus. I'm going to chase this thing and then I'll chase this thing. And then we would have activity, but no impact. Mm -hmm. We are honing our focus for employees and also the culture to drive impact. Those things speak to, again, let's be a company that continues to have compassion in our bones, but builds muscles of high performance and learning. And so why is that important for where we're now in the cultural transformation? I think um, in the pandemic, as we've worked remotely, we've run, we've run a risk of um, a couple of things. We've run a risk of burnout. So we run a risk of people are just sort of burning out with this mode of like, man, is this, is this the future? Just continuing to work from my, from my, you know, off my home office, you know, for the rest of my life. <laughs> right. And, and so they're, you know, they're kind of, it's a little bit dystopian and you, and you're kind of, you worry that like this, this isn't it. This is not what I aspire towards. I aspire towards a future where we're going to bring the world back together through live experiences. That's an aspirational mission. The values are, are a guiding light for where we're going. And it's actually going to be better than now. A hybrid is going to be better than now. It, if done poorly, it could be worse. Right. But we're going to do it. We're going to do it better than, than the remote um, because we're going to have a workforce that evolves 
It has, we have people working in offices, we have people working from home, we have people working from wherever they want, but um, fostering a culture of driving impact, taking ownership, continuously learning. And so we think if we do those things, we navigate the next chapter of hybrid work much better because people understand. I understand what's, what this company is at, like when it's at its best, and I'm going to opt into that. Or I'm going to opt out. I'm going to opt out because I'm going to. I want to be part of a different type of company. I I still want to be a compassionate company, but I don't. I'm not. I'm not ready to be high performing. I'm not ready to step it up. And we'll also let those folks, you know, opt out. Yeah, I think this is this is awesome because I, you know, I talk to a lot of people, experts like you, and we, culture is of course a pretty big item, right? Whenever I have these topics, but uh, seldom I hear, you know, talk, the, the reassessment of the, the where your company's at, the, the stage, the environment that it's operating in, and the kind of people mix that you have, and actually evolving your, your values and your culture and your behaviors, right? Um, so I think that's, that's really, really cool. Um, it's not something that I usually hear from, you know, others. So that's really, really helpful. Um, and I love the, 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 you know, the one of your values that you talked about in terms of ownership. That's something that uh, I've had you know, fortunately from all of my previous roles and even today, and, you know, at McKinsey, they used to call it obligation to dissent, right? Like when you see something wrong, you call it out, right? Yeah. Like you better have data and backup for it, but uh, you, you know, you want to call it out and make sure that we get to the right answer and you are always kind of intellectually honest, right? So um, that's awesome. 100%. Um, so cultural transformation makes sense. How can managers and leaders contribute um, to this transformation? I mean, it, it's happening, right? You know, what, yeah. as you said, but how can they contribute so that it, it becomes a more of a positive outcome rather than a negative? Well, you know, the, the really difficult part of um, building culture through your values is everything after the unveiling, right? So <laughs> I, I can, I put a great presentation together and like, wow, right. that sounds fun. But the hard work is now what next? How do we actually build these into practices? How do I hire for it? How do, I, how do I hire for a mentality of taking ownership? How would I explore that, you know, through behavioral interviews? Um, how would we promote, promote people into leadership roles that have really exemplified taking ownership, continuously learning, you know, empowering our customers? And um, then how would I, how would we recognize people, recognizing people, recognizing peer-to-peer -peer recognition of like, hey, this person really demonstrated this. So each of those values that we unveiled, um, you know, really, live or die on the employees um, uh, remembering them uh, and then striving towards them. So how managers can help is opening up team meetings, you know, talking about, you know, hey, I want to give an example of driving impact this week. I've been mm -hmm. thinking more about how we need to continuously learn. And here's something that we've made mistakes on. How do we do this differently? What, how do we build postmortems into our, you know, product development process? Just as an example. So we have a list of things that we're going to do programmatically that sort of try to build this culture. Right. But the, the, the gold is really that there's a lot that we give the managers. So like, hey, here's things that you can do in the tool belt. And we shine a spotlight on them. So we have a manager, we have a leader in Madrid named Jaime, who's a really great example of someone who just on his own would bring in feedback. He would bring the values of the feedback into interview assessments. Awesome. And then we would, we would spotlight that of like, hey, this, this is how to do it. And so then, you know, so, so most of these are things that the employees and managers themselves have a lot of like, you know, uh, blue sky to actually tinker with and bring in. And then we share those, you know, in our all hands. And we have these meetings called hearts to hearts where we share those things um, of like, hey, here's a new practice that the 
money systems engineering team is is now doing to drive impact. Yeah, yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense. And um, and this is something that we see in our line of work as well, where you're talking about behaviors change, right? And 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 the two of the biggest drivers that we see are kind of role modeling, and you've you touched on that with managers, like bringing those topics up, like walking the talk visibly, right? Yeah. Um, to show that you're actually behind it and you're not just talking about it. Um, and second thing is around like setting the right processes up, uh, as you mentioned as well, right? Like making sure that it's part of your workflow becomes normal and natural within, for example, Eventbrite. Um, yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. Um, cool. So I, one kind of last question for you, you know, I already mentioned this, but compensation, this is like a really interesting topic personally for me, because yeah. I'm like, Hey, I mean, I get, I get both sides of the argument around the, you know, from the employer perspective and employee perspective, but, um, you know, for, for those of you who aren't you know, necessarily familiar with this uh, challenge with the hybrid work environment or remote work environment, right? Uh, the question is, how do you compensate your people? Do you baseline them at, um, you know, if this person was living in California, do you compensate this person based on California wages? And if this person moves to Austin, like you, for example, or to Canada, for example, do you compensate them based on that market, right? Um, any thoughts there? Yeah, so um, for the vast majority of roles, we have um, a market-based, a geography-based market comp approach. So um, here, herein lies a really interesting sticking point and you know, sort of debate. Um, if you look at LinkedIn surveys, the vast majority of employees want to have um, uh, their um, pay uh, follow them with them. If they move to, right. move to a lower cost region, they want right. to keep that, obviously, for good reason. <laughs> right. And, um, and yet the majority of, of tech companies that I know are, are market-based. Mm -hmm. And so we, we do market-based pay, which means if you are um, a manager of X and you move from San Francisco to Des Moines, you will find yourself in a new geography um, that will inevitably have a pay cut attached to it. Um, but, but like in many cases, you're actually going to have your take-home pay still be greater um, higher purchasing so, power yeah yeah less, maybe less taxes you know um better, better purchasing power so so the majority of these situations wind up still like i'm financially incented to do this despite my pay being adjusted downwards 10 percent. we also do the reverse if you move from des moines to san francisco we will increase your pay to match the market so we have market-based pay but but what's also changing is um because of so many people are moving in tech companies suddenly there's like a nationalization of pay rates. So, you know, the debate is at what, at what point do we move from having like four, you know, geographies, meaning like we can bucket, we can bucket most yeah. cities into one of four geographies. At what point does that change? Do these geographies collapse? Because an engineer in Austin or Charlotte, their pay is their average, their midpoints are jumping 10% each year. Whereas in San Francisco or San Diego, they're jumping only like 1%. Right. The so, market's becoming efficient. That's right. That's right. So, you know, we, we majority, vast majority of our uh, roles are um, uh, sort of um, local, um, sort of local market-based pay. Um, at some point that may change to national, so national right. rates, or you, you peg to a certain geo that becomes your national rate. But, you know, we're trying to follow the market. We're trying to understand. So like for you, I'm going to join this company. I'm going to feel like this is, this is fair or I'm gonna move someplace that feels fair to me and you're being transparent with me on how your approach works. I think a big issue for many companies is that they have this approach, but they're not transparent about it. 
And so mm. it suddenly it suddenly surprises people and like, whoa, this was this was not clear to me. I would not have even made this choice, you know, and gotten halfway down the road of moving if you didn't, if you, no one like had told me this. Right. And so transparency and education, I think, on your approach is a really key thing. And you ultimately want your, your leaders to own. So if a leader says, hey, I want to shift from paying my people on a, you know, geography or sort of local market approach to a national approach. We'd have that conversation with them. We'd say, okay, well, we're, we're like, let's look at the data. You know, if they want to make it more expensive to run their team, but that's what the that's what the market is for those types of roles, that could be a change that we make for certain roles. So that's the other thing is like it's not one size fits all. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there might be certain roles that are hard to fill that that may that may have a different approach. But for right now, the vast majority of us, it's market based, and uh, which means taking a geography, a geographic based look. Um, at, at those at those roles and, and paying accordingly. Yeah, and it's you know you, you hear a lot of top you know talk about oh what about pay for performance right regardless where you are and, and, and you know against the geography or market based compensation and yeah I mean I mean there's no silver bullet here right um, absolutely not and I think like you said most companies that that I've seen as well are doing kind of the geography and the market based pay um, and. and I think, you know, we'll see how it goes in a few years, maybe it'll truly be efficient, right? Where most of the things are going to be basically, uh, you know, national pay or more or less average within the bands of five, 10%, uh, make, yeah. it, make it easier. Yeah, performance is another part too, is like, if I'm a high performer, I, I want to see my performance reflected in that pay, which, which, we, which we do. We have, you know, if you're performing at a higher level, you should be higher in the band for mm -hmm. your market. Um, and you should be receiving, you know, stock grants that make sure you make it clear to you that like, Hey, we like, we really value, we want you to be here long-term. Right. And so that's another part for us that we also try to make transparent. How does that show up in my pay? Does it show up my right. salary or does it show up my equity? Um, and so transparency there in education is, is a big part. Absolutely. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, these are all the big questions that I had, David, I really appreciate your time. Um, thank you. And where can the audience find you and your thought leadership? You know, I'm, I'm po I post mo mainly on LinkedIn. So if you want to follow me on LinkedIn or connect, uh, that, that's where I'm mostly putting putting stuff. I'm also on Twitter, although my, my Twitter feed is kind of a mess. So <laughs> follow me on LinkedIn. Perfect. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time again, David. Uh, everyone, thank you for listening to Working With People. Feel free to check out other episodes on pavestep.com slash podcast. Thanks, David. Thanks, Harrison.